If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them with me now to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, today we are going to see together that the happiest and, and strongest people in the world are those that have been redeemed by God's grace and who are very intentional to remember and to celebrate that grace throughout their lives. And so let's begin by uh, reading Exodus chapter 12, verse 43 and on. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the land of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all the territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to, I'm sorry, you shall, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your sons ask you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. 
For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontless between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night." The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Friends, a right response to being shown grace is to never forget about that grace. Right? When when your life is changed by something that you did not deserve, when you are freely given a second chance at life, you often choose to be very intentional to remember it. Ashley and I have been reading Victor Hugo's Les Miserables together for about five years now. It's a long book, and we are slowly working our way through it. But it is an amazing book, and it has many good gospel illustrations within it. And one of the best pictures within this amazing story is how Jean Valjean holds on to the candlesticks that were given to him years before. Jean Valjean was a prisoner in a hard labor camp for 19 years. And when he finally had his escape, he, he quickly stole silverware from a priest who tried to show him hospitality. And when he was caught and inevitably was going to be sent back to hard labor, the priest mercifully, graciously said that the silverware was his and even gave him valuable candlesticks saying that they were not stolen but belonged to Jean Valjean. The priest spared Jean Valjean from judgment by giving to him what he did not deserve. And this moment changed Jean Valjean's life forever. And so rather than selling all of these belongings that had been given to him and using the money to support himself, Jean Valjean kept the candlesticks. Why did he keep them? To remember the grace that had been shown to him. He did not want to forget what had been done. He held on to these candlesticks in order to never move beyond the gift of grace that had been given. And church, in our text today, we see how God never wants us to forget the miracle of grace and mercy that has been given to us either. 
Today we see even more instruction about the Passover meal and about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's it's a lot of detailed requirements and instructions from God for the Israelites. And at first it it kind of feels like it's, it's too much, almost like God is just enjoying telling us what to do. But what becomes very clear as we study this together is the fact that God's heart is not at all to require pointless obedience from his people, but rather to to constantly remind us of the free and unmerited grace that he has given to us. God knows that our greatest happiness is going to be found not in using our freedom to build our own kingdoms for ourselves, Our greatest happiness is not going to be found in in selling the candlesticks and living rich for a little while on the proceeds. No, God knows that our greatest happiness and strength is to never forget the grace that has been shown to us. To never forget how far gone we would be apart from His grace. More instruction about the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It It might seem Repetitive, but friends, in reality, what this is, is God lovingly leading you and I towards living lives full of the greatest hope and peace and joy imaginable. The main idea for our sermon this morning is this. Those redeemed by God's grace are happiest when they are intentional to remember God's grace. Those redeemed by God's grace are happiest when they are intentional to remember God's grace. And so the question is, how are we to remember God's grace? We have four points this morning. Number one, we must keep his statutes. Number two, we we must clarify our identity. Number three, we must consecrate our lives. And number four, we must follow his presence. Let's go ahead and begin with first point. Point number one, we must keep his statutes. Look at verse 43 with me. It says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. That that word statute, it it means regulation or custom or rule. So so God is is taking the picture of the Passover meal and he he is turning it into a statute or into a rule or a custom or a regulation for his people. Verse 47, All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. This is a big deal. Every one of God's people are to to keep and to follow this statute of the Passover, and they are to keep it very carefully. And not just the Passover, but if you drop down to chapter 13, verse 3, God also gives instruction about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in verse 10, he calls it as well a statute. It too is to be kept carefully. Why? Why? In order to remember to never forget what God did for them in this moment. In in verse 3, it explicitly says that this is what these things are for. It says, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt. God gave statutes and rules to Israel in order to help them to remember. Because he never wants them to forget the extraordinary work of grace that he had done for them. If Jean Valjean sold the candlesticks, chances are that the memory of how he had been shown grace would have faded over time. But with the candlesticks, he had a constant reminder of what had been done for him. And friends, isn't this true for us? If we are not intentional to remember what God has done for us through the gospel, isn't it true that we will inevitably 
forget and will inevitably begin to trust in other things. You and I will begin to assume that our, our salvation and our strength and our hope and our confidence is in our own selves, our own ingenuity, our, our own good works, our, our own power has changed us, our own morality has improved our quality of life. But nothing could be farther from the truth, amen? All that we have is of grace. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive together with Christ. It's all of Him, and He knows that we are going to be happiest when we remember that glorious truth. Friends, this is why the whole Christian life, the entire existence as disciples, it's about remembering. It's not about finding new and exciting things. We, as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, are about old things. We're about remembering the same old glorious truths of God's grace again and again and again and again. Church, this is why God gives us statutes today as well. This is why the New Testament, in the New Testament, we are, we are called to, to gather together. This is why church is, is so important. This is why the Lord's Supper, which we will celebrate later and which we celebrate every week is, is so important. It's the new Passover meal. It helps us to remember. This is why God instructs us to do certain things very consistently in life. But isn't it true that we often forget or that we often minimize these things or as Christians we tend to downplay the importance of God's statutes and rules and commands because we as Christians we, we don't want to be legalistic we don't want to be rule oriented no we want to we want to celebrate the richness and the freeness of God's grace we want to make, make a big deal about how free we are in him we don't like rules rules feel heavy we don't like statutes and so we we downplay their presence in our lives but what we fail to see is that the statutes and the rules and the commands of God are the exact way that we are to celebrate God's grace in our lives. God knows that our greatest joy is to be found in Him and in never forgetting about Him. And so He has lovingly given us statutes and rules and practices that will keep us near to Him and near to His grace. This is why faithful, consistent, Church attendance every week is so important. This is why the Lord's Supper is so valuable. This is why all of God's many means of grace in our lives, prayer and, and devotions and, and fellowship group and, and singing songs of praise and the sacraments of baptism in the Lord's Supper, they're so important. They're not empty rules. They're fuel for our joy in Him. They are to keep us from, from growing proud in ourselves and to remind us constantly of who God is and what he's done in our lives. So Christian, let me, let me ask you this morning, how do you view the statutes and the rules and the commands of God? How do you view, view his, his commandments? Because we're, we're looking at some of them here today, but there's a whole lot more coming in the book of Exodus. How does your soul respond when, when someone says to you, faithful church attendance should be priority number one for you and your family? Do you, do you resist or, or downplay that? Husbands and fathers, what, what are you communicating to your family in, is, that is your first priority in life? Does it feel strangely legalistic to you to, to lead your church to valuing the things of God, things like church attendance in your calendar, making it inflexible compared to other things? Does it feel 
legalistic to lead your home towards praying and towards studying and towards serving together? Does it feel legalistic to say to your, to your children, we are going to make a big deal about the statutes and the commands of God? What would your kids say is your greatest priorities in life? What would they say you value most? College students, what would your classmates look into your life and say, this is what they value most? Look at verse 14, it says, And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Redeemer Fellowship, Let's be so committed to the things of God and to the means of grace that he has given to us that our children begin to ask us, our neighbors begin to ask us, our classmates begin to ask us, our extended family begins to ask us when they see us looking, serving, and, and, and working in certain ways. Why do you do those things? Let's be so committed to these things that they ask us and we're able to say, oh, it's because... By a strong hand, the Lord brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We were in bondage, but he rescued us from bondage and has given us life. We are to remember God's grace by keeping his statutes. Point number two, we must clarify our identity. Look at verses 44 and 45. So first, in verse 44, it, it gives direction about slaves and how they are to participate in the Passover meal. And, and we're going to talk more about slavery and what it was in Egypt when we get to chapter 21. But then in verse 45, it says this. It says, no foreigner or hired worker may eat of it, eat of the Passover. Now, when we read that, I, I think that you and I tend to feel like that is needlessly exclusive. Right? It feels unloving that God would ever say that non-Israelites cannot eat this meal. Or if they are to eat this meal, that they need to be circumcised first. Why does it need to be as exclusive as that? Shouldn't God's heart be more welcoming and more inclusive? Why does God draw such a distinct line between Israel and other nations? But listen, here's the thing. God knows that the Israelites are a forgetful people. He knows that they will begin to forget what makes them distinct from all the other nations around them. They have spent 400 years in, in slavery, and so they have been around a pantheon of false gods. And that sort of idolatry is not going to be easily forgotten. They're going to be very tempted to forget that Yahweh is the one true God, and they're going to be very tempted to commingle with other gods from other nations. Even the fact that up in chapter 12, verse 38, it says that a mixed multitude went up with them from Egypt. Friends, that means that there are people of different religious backgrounds going with the Israelites. And that's good. That's beautiful. That shows God's heart for the nations and for the entire world. But that must not mean that we open the door to other forms of worship. See, our God is absolutely exclusive. Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way. Yahweh is absolutely exclusive in his salvation. But friends, this is actually a, a loving thing for God to say and do and to be. 
We read this and we, we can be tempted to feel, because particularly of our American culture, we can be tempted to feel like he is not inclusive enough, that he should be more wel- welcoming. But, but when it comes to matters of eternity, when it comes to absolute truth, it is not loving to say that everyone can be right. It's not loving to say that, that all way, ways lead to heaven, because they don't. God knows that the Israelites are going to be very tempted to to adopt the religious perspectives of other nations. They will welcome in foreigners, and the the foreigners will be enjoying time with the Israelites. They, They might even acknowledge that Yahweh exists. But if those foreigners do not devote themselves exclusively to Yahweh through circumcision and to his redemption, well, then they must not partake of the Passover meal with them. Why? Well, because the Passover meal is a faith-filled meal. It is a meal that says Yahweh redeemed us from Egypt and from all other gods. He's different. He is our salvation. And he did so with a strong and mighty hand. He did so in order to prove that he is the only way of salvation. And so foreigners should not, no, foreigners must not partake of the meal of Passover, which declares Yahweh's goodness and power if they are not fully committed to him through faith. And so while, while that feels exclusive, it's actually the most loving thing that God can do. This is not a matter of a race distinction. It is a matter of a grace distinction. Who understands God's grace and who does not? God refuses, lovingly refuses to let anyone act as if they are part of the redeemed if their faith is in anything but him. Which is why the way towards participating in the Passover is to be circumcised. Circumcision is the Old Testament covenant sign. It was a real and and painful and permanent sign of commitment to Yahweh. And God says, the only way to eat with my people in the celebration of Passover is to say that you are fully with me in all of life. Friends, clarifying our identity is one of the greatest ways that we can remember God's grace of redemption in our lives. And it's as important today as it was on that day. Many of you know how much I love Starbucks coffee. Huge Starbucks fan. It's not even a conversation between Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts. It's just not a thing. We don't even need to waste time discussing it. But one of the things that I love about Starbucks is the community that it is. I love to work up at the Hocassin Starbucks, and I have a goal while I'm working there of, of meeting as many people as I possibly can. I like to get gifts for the baristas to thank them for their service. I love learning people's names. I love building a sense of community. And it's actually easy to do that because a lot of people who go to Starbucks want that sense of community as well. Starbucks is is known to be one of the most inclusive companies that there is. Their heart is to welcome all and to make all feel like they belong. And, And that's one of the things I actually like about it because it allows me to meet many different kinds of people. But listen, as a Christian, I need to be careful I need to be careful that in the enjoyment of Starbucks and the community of Starbucks, I don't forget how gloriously important and absolutely central God's grace is. I must not think that just because there's a sense of community with these people that everything is okay or as it should be. It would be unloving of me to live or act in a way that communicates to all my friends at Starbucks that a feeling of community and friendship is what is needed most in their lives. 
It would actually be unloving of me if I just befriended all these people and created this sense of community but never spoke of their need for Jesus. That's not, that would not only be unloving, that would be hateful. I must follow God's example by finding ways to, to show and to speak of the distinction. I must find ways to communicate that as much as I love their friendship, their friendship is not the same as what we experience here in the church family. I must find ways to communicate that as much as I enjoy coffee and time with them, the, most, the greatest happiness is not found in drinking coffee together, but by believing in Jesus together. So church, this is one of the ways that those who are redeemed by God's grace should intentionally remember God's grace together. We should always want to clarify what it is that, that unites us. We're not just a social club together. We're not just being a, a happy social group. We are not a community gathering just for the heck of it. We are the redeemed people of God. We have one Lord, one Savior, Jesus Christ. And being this way is important, but it's not always easy. Recently, I had one of my friends at Starbucks literally begin to yell at me in front of the whole store. She, she almost threw her Bible at me across the counter because she did not like what she was reading in it. And she, she was very worked up and it was a very difficult situation. But, but the distinction remains important. We must be faithful to not blend into the world around us. We who are saved by God's grace, we must clarify our identity in him. Which, side note, one last application on this point. Friends, this is why baptism is so important. In the New Covenant, in the New Testament, baptism now replaces circumcision. That's great news. <laughs> For people to take, the, take the, the Lord's Supper, which is the New Testament equivalent to Passover, and which is a sign of being among the people of God, to partake in the meal of, of the Lord's Supper by faith, you need to have been baptized into the community. So declaring publicly that you are now a redeemed child of God. This is how we clarify our identity. And it's why God's word says, and we mention it every week, if, if you haven't put your faith in King Jesus, if you haven't even been baptized yet, the Lord's Supper is not yet for you. We remember God's grace by keeping his statutes, by clarifying our identity. And point number three, we, in order to remember God's grace, we must consecrate our lives. Chapter 13, verses 1 to 2, the Lord says to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. To, to consecrate something means to make something holy. It means to, to set it apart in a distinct way, to to set it aside for a particular purpose. And you can, see what, you can see what some of this means when you look down at verses 11 to 16 and God expounds on what he's saying here. He says, When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. To consecrate something means to set apart, to separate it from the rest, to give it a special purpose. And so what is God saying here? He is saying one of the ways that I want to help you to remember my goodness and my grace and how I have redeemed you or set you apart from Egypt is that I want you to set apart all of the firstborn among you for a special purpose. They are to set apart all that first opens the womb, the first lamb that is born to a mother lamb is to be sacrificed to the Lord. 
The first of the cattle, sacrifice to the Lord. The first of everything is to be devoted to him in some way. Now, donkeys, we learn about later on, are unclean animals, and so they should not be sacrificed to the Lord, but they should still need to be, they should still be set apart. So the people of Israel either need to replace the donkey with a lamb, redeem it, and sacrifice the lamb, or it says they're to break the donkey's neck. It, it can't be sacrificed, but neither are they to hold on to it for themselves. It needs to be consecrated. And friends, all of this really shows the the heart of God for us. God knows that you and I tend to hold on to things in this world. We tend to put our trust in earthly things. We we tend to cling to our our physical belongings. We have greater peace when our bank accounts are large. We have more hope when the mortgage rate is low. We, We feel strong when we have physical things to lean on. But God does not want us to lean on these things. And so he calls us to give them to him. And he does this because this is a powerful way to always remember in our souls who he is and what he's done. If you value something in life, you you consecrate yourself to it. If you value physical health, then you're going to consecrate part of your day towards working out. If you value entertainment, you're going to consecrate part of your budget to going to the movies. If you value your family, you're going to consecrate your days to being with them. If you value the Eagles or the Phillies, you're going to consecrate part of your life to following them and to being devoted to them. We do this in all of life, and God is saying that we should do the same with him and even more. This is how we remember the great things that he has done for us. And listen, it's not just the firstborn. It's not like the Israelites sacrificed the firstborn of their livestock and then said, okay, now that's done. Now I can build my earthly kingdom into myself. Now I can consecrate the rest to me. No, to offer the firstborn that opened the womb was in fact to consecrate their entire lives to Yahweh. That's what it was. Listen to this quote from Philip Reichen. He says, the point of consecrating the firstborn was really to show that the whole family belonged to God. The firstborn represented all the offspring, including the girls as well as the rest of the boys. The firstborn stood for the family as a part representing the whole. The way, for example, that a captain represents his team at the beginning of a football game, or an executive represents his corporation at the bargaining table. To consecrate him was to consecrate everyone else who came from his mother's womb. Friends, this is the call of Yahweh on our lives, to consecrate all of ourselves to him. In his great grace, he looks upon us, and he, it says in chapter 3, looked upon us as his firstborn son. By his grace, he looked on us with favor when he should look on us with his judgment. And we should be so amazed by that grace that we are now willing to take the candlesticks of our lives, and consecrate them back to God, consecrating all that we are back to him. And there's so much represented in this text. I mean, this text represents the sanctifying and the setting apart of our money. That's what all of these things represent. They represent resources. We, we sanctify our resources back to God. Later in Exodus, it's going to talk about the tithe and giving God a tithe of our, a tenth of our offering. In our text, we see that we are to sanctify our entire lives. So when it talks about leaven in this text, and it says that we're to sweep our houses clean of leaven and not even have leaven be in sight of us, biblically speaking, that's talking about holiness. Leaven represents sin, and so we're supposed to do away with sin in our lives. And friends, as we continue through Exodus, we will see how Yahweh calls us to sanctify our time, 
our families, our relationships, our work, our everything. Not because God needs our money. Not because he needs our time. Not because he needs our energy. No, he needs nothing from us. Rather, friends, we are sanctifying these things because he has given us so much already. Because he has paid the incalculable price of our salvation. Our debt has been paid and so our lives have been filled with his grace. This is why we should consecrate our entire lives to him. Look again at verse 14. It says, and when in times to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. God knows that consecrating our lives to him, it's going to seem strange to the world around us. Our kids are going to say to us, mom and dad, why do we have to go to church every single week? Why do we have to go to fellowship group again? Your extended family is going to say, why do you give 10% to the church when you desperately need that car? Your neighbors are going to, to say, why do you refuse to go to this sporting event or this community activity when it contradicts the church or small group? You know, this past Wednesday uh, at the bridge course, uh, I was talking to one of my new friends uh, who is attending the bridge course and exploring Christianity with us. And we're talking about the church and it was a great conversation. And she said, you know, somebody told me that Christians give like 10% of their income to the church. And she was shocked by it. She couldn't believe it. She's like, I don't think that's even possible. Friends, that, that is what it is to consecrate our lives to him. And we are going to be asked so many more questions than just that as we give our entire beings to him. But do you know what we get to say in that moment? We get to say we live this way, we give this way, we we serve this way. We consecrate every area of our entire lives because the Lord has brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Because he's done great things for us. Because he has given us hope when we had no hope. He has given us a purpose when we had no purpose. Because he's washed our sin and shame away and we are declared forgiven. And so we live for him. Redeemer Fellowship, let's consecrate our lives. Amen? Let, let's live for him. He has redeemed us with a strong hand. And so let us live consecrated lives for his glory. Our time, our energy, our money, our families, our calendars, our work, all of it, let us give to him. We remember his redemption by consecrating our lives to him. How else do we remember? Fourth and finally, if we're to remember his grace, point number four, we must follow his presence. All of this talk about statutes and rules and commandments and sacrifices, if misunderstood, it can feel like a burden. Like, like so many other religions out there that require rituals and practices in order to make their gods happy. It, if misunderstood, it can feel so formal and so rigid and so cold like there's, like there's no relationship here. Like these things are our cold attempt to, to start our relationship with God. That if we do these things, that there will be, that if we don't do these things, there will be no relationship. That we will be cut off. But it's not that. 
What we see here today is the exact opposite of all the other religions out there that require obedience and sacrifice and and rituals and consecration in order to make their many gods happy. No, all we see here is that it's not the starting point, but rather the response. Jean Valjean kept the candlesticks not because he needed to earn grace, but because he had already been given grace. He remembered what had already been given to him. And church, it is the same with us. Notice how many times in this text it speaks of what God has already done. Verse 3, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Verse 8, you shall tell your son on the day it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Verse 9, for with a strong hand the Lord has brought you up. Verse 14, by a strong hand. Verse 16, for by a strong hand. Again and again and again, the Lord makes it abundantly clear that we do these things. We consecrate our lives not to earn God's salvation, but because we already have the salvation. Because he has loved us and given himself for us. And friends, this is seen even more in verses 17 to 22 at the end of chapter 13 when God begins to lead them away from Egypt. It says that he leads them away from Egypt and from the Philistines because he knows that they will be fearful. He loves them and cares for them in their weakness. He leads them around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. It's not the most logical route. It's not the most direct route. There are major hurdles before them, including a whole sea that they need to overcome, but it's okay. Why? Because God, because Yahweh is with them. God is not waiting for them to consecrate their lives in order for him to redeem them. No, he has already fully committed to them. He's already redeemed them, and his presence is now committed to them. He will not leave them. Such wonderful, wonderful words in this text. It says the Lord went with them. It says that he led them. It says that he gave them light, that he would not depart from them. Church, this is, if this is true of the Israelites, how much more is it true of us today? For those of us who have seen God's redemption, not just through the final plague in Egypt, but through the gospel, through the death of God's own son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf, on that cross, how much more should we celebrate the gift of his presence The light has shone into the darkness and he will never depart from his people. How much more should we celebrate and consecrate our entire existence to him? Not not as a way to save ourselves, but as a way to celebrate the salvation that has been freely given. Christ has redeemed us and now he's given us the Holy Spirit who is with us at all times. The Holy Spirit will go before us. He will lead us. He will guide us. He will strengthen us. He will remind us at all times that the statutes of God and the commandments of God are not the starting point for us as Christians. No, they are our privilege and our response to God's great and glorious redemption of his people in and through the gospel. Those who are saved by God's grace are the happiest when they are intentional to remember God's grace. And God has committed himself. He's committed even his spirit to never let us forget. The Holy Spirit, God's very presence is with you today. He is your guarantee and your seal and your assurance, your hope and your confidence. He goes before you and he will not depart from you. Let's pray.